We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And Paul is exhorting the young believers at Thessalonica who were living in a society very much like ours, uh, one that did not have a religious background, how to walk. And the word walk in the Bible refers to our conduct. How do I live as a believer in a hostile world? And God's will for us is our sanctification. So whatever we're going to be looking at in practical terms, behind it all, God our Father is intent not on making us more happy, but on making us more like Christ. That's what sanctification means, to be like God. And incidentally, a byproduct of that is greater joy. And Paul has looked at one area which is extremely relevant where we're to be different from the world, and that's in terms of purity or sexual purity. There is nothing intrinsically dirty about sex. It's something that God has given to us. What the world has done because of sin is twist these natural desires and they are channeled in the wrong direction. When we are saved, we don't repress natural desires. All sorts of problems will happen if we do that. We serve God not just with our spirits, but with our bodies. And that includes sexual desires which are channeled in the right direction. And we looked at that last time. Just one note before we move on, and I can tell you I'm very grateful to be moving on from that subject of purity. And isn't it interesting how the Lord has led Andy to the same area and myself in Thessalonians. We didn't organize this. We didn't discuss this over curry. It so happened in God's providence, we are looking at this area at the same time. And I've still got one last section of judges to look at, which is pretty gruesome when it comes to sexual immorality. So I will be glad (laughs) uh, to uh, move on to the next area. And that's what we're going to do tonight. But just before we do that, Paul does mention that God chastises. So if we just take the account, verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, and then he applies it to purity, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own body, vessel, in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord, and this is the one thing we haven't mentioned, the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God 
who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So when we commit sexual immorality, not just in action, but in heart and mind, we sin not just against our bodies, as Paul says to the Corinthians, we sin against the Holy Spirit, not the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, but because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, we grieve the Spirit. And God does chastise. He doesn't judge his people. We will never be under condemnation as Christians. We're in Christ. Christ has borne the wrath of God. But a father, a good father, will discipline. And our heavenly father will chastise us. Uh, if you think of the man after God's own heart, David. David committed this sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, didn't he? And even though after several months, David came to repent, Psalm 51, David still bore the scars, didn't he? For the rest of his life. And that's a reminder to us that even though we're saved, we're still in the flesh. And every one of us here this evening has probably got some scars, uh, not just in terms of this kind of area, but in general. And we should be gentle with one another. We are all broken vessels. Uh, God has been merciful to us and will be merciful to us and will not give up on us. The Holy Spirit fills empty, broken vessels. But we're still broken. So I'm hoping that nobody has a cavalier attitude to these things and thinks that they are somehow immune. Now, we're going to look tonight at a second area where we are to be different to the world. And I think this is very relevant as well. Love. Let me read the verses 9 to 12. 9 to 12. Not any love, but brotherly love. Phileo love. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing." My, oh, my, isn't this an area where, as Christians, we're a bad witness? The early church, Tertullian, said people were accusing Christians of all sorts of things. They were even persecuting them. But they said, see how they love one another. Hasn't that been turned upside down in so many churches. Uh, people say, you evangelicals, see how you divide. Isn't this a vital area that we show a better way? We show that we are different, not just in terms of the world outside, but in terms of other believers as well. Don't, don't you long just to show a better way. 
It's not easy, and the devil doesn't want us to do that. But Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Shouldn't the church be that? Uh, the church is described sometimes as the city of Zion. Mount Zion is the mountain that Jerusalem is built on. And it's going to be heaven, isn't it? But isn't the church here on earth meant to be a Philadelphia, a city of brotherly love? May that be said of Heath Church. So this is what Paul is going to open up here. How we show filial love. This isn't a love that unbelievers can show to one another. This is only a love between true believers and people looking on at us. Even if they disagree vehemently with us, they will still have to admit, but they do love one another. They do. There's something that binds them together that we don't know anything about, and I want to know about that, and I'm going to ask them. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all the divisions we have witnessed over these last decades, if somehow, and I believe the Lord can do this, they were all turned around and we were all somehow to come together and show that unity in the gospel to the people of this city. I know, Andy, you are longing for that. Who knows whether our God can perform a miracle there. The problem is... Just as with sexual purity, we're saved, but we're still in the flesh. And the problem with brotherly love is the flesh gets in the way. Uh, John Calvin, uh, I've got a quote from him later. I've got um, the Reverend Mark Rowcroft here tonight, and he was senior student over me in Bible college, so I want to impress him. <laughs> but he, here is one quotation. I don't know if this is Calvin. All too often, factions arise over insignificant issues or fellow Christian interrelate no differently than the rest of the world, holding grudges against one another and gossiping about each other. We should not think of the first century church as some ecclesiological bliss. A perfect church? It wasn't. They had those problems in Thessalonica. The problems are amongst Christians today, otherwise Paul wouldn't have needed to write any of his letters. Thank God in one sense that there were issues that had to be addressed. Otherwise we wouldn't have these wonderful epistles. But, oh my brothers and sisters, may we rise above the flesh. These things that belong to the old nature. May, may, may we do battle with these respectable sins. Because that's what gossip is. That's what refusing to speak to another brother or sister is. Uh, often we are told that it's over some important theological matter. Absolute nonsense. 99% of the time, it's because we are in the flesh. Now then, 
Paul looks at four things here to do with how we love one another. And because I've done a lengthy introduction, I think we'll only do the first uh, this evening. What can we say about this filio love? Don't you want to know more of it? Don't you want Heath Church to be a Philadelphia indeed? The first thing I want to say is that this is taught love. It's taught love. Verse 9, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. If you've got children, you don't have to teach your children how to misbehave, do you? But you do have to teach them how to do right. And you teach them how to show respect and love to those around them. But this is more than that. We've been taught by God himself to love one another. I don't know where to begin here. We're just going to take the New Testament. Uh, Jesus uh, said several times, love one another. Uh, the reading that we had, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all will know that you are my disciples. We're concerned about being a witness in this area. What's the point of talking about evangelism? Even if our messages are clear, if we don't love one another, that's the strongest witness. That is what backs up our words. There's a story of Archbishop Usher in Ireland many centuries ago. He got shipwrecked and he crawled onto the shore and he saw a house and he knocked on the door and the owner saw this disheveled man and he didn't recognize him as the great Archbishop. And he said, I'm the Archbishop. And he said, no, you're not. You look like a vagabond. And he said, I'll ask you a question to make sure that you are a bishop. And do you know what he asked him? How many commandments are there? How many commandments? Do you know the answer to that? And Usher said, 11. And the man said, you're not an archbishop. You should have known it's 10. And he said, oh, no. God gave 10 commandments in the Old Testament, but Jesus said, a new commandment. I give unto you that you love one another. Uh, so there are 11 commandments and we let ourselves down and the Lord down by forgetting this 11th commandment. Now I know that the second table of the law, the 10 commandments, is loving one another. But I like that account of Archbishop Escher. What about 1 Corinthians 13? Andy has been dealing with the gifts uh, in the Bible study, and he has emphasized that more important than any gifts are graces. And Paul puts it, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians 13, there were many gifted people in the church at Corinth, even more so than at Thessalonica, but they were forgetting one thing. What were they forgetting? They were forgetting the greatest gift of all, which is love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, wouldn't you like to have angelic preaching in this pulpit? Well, it's useless if there is not love. And even if we do 
uh, all sorts of good works. And even if we bestow all our goods to feed the poor, we haven't got to that, have we, with our food bank, per se we did. And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Brothers and sisters, without love, we are nothing. The church at Ephesus started off healthy, but by the end of the first generation, it was still sound. It was still active. But when Jesus wrote the second letter to the Ephesians, he had to rebuke them and say, you have lost your first love. I wonder sometimes if this is where we are lacking. So God teaches us in his word to love one another. Faith works by love. Whatever command you think of, and if you consider the second half of Paul's epistles as an expansion of the Ten Commandments, all of them are motivated by love. Are they not? Love is the only engine of survival, said Leonard Cohen, and no church can survive without this filio love. But I think there is more here than that. We've been taught of God, not just directly from his word, that we ought to love one another, but what do you make of the words of the new covenant? We looked at these in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. This is what God says when Jesus comes, I will put my law, the Ten Commandments, within and on their hearts I will write it. They will not teach each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. We've been taught by God, not just as the word exhorts us, but hasn't God given us a new nature? And that nature is love, as Wesley says in one of his hymns. Uh, this is John Calvin now. Love was engraven upon their hearts so that there was no need of letters written on paper. Their hearts were framed by love. And we know something of that, don't we? When we were born of the Spirit, when we were wondrously saved, whether it's sudden or gradual, it doesn't matter. But we find that there is this new disposition. However you put it, it's this new desire. Now that is this love. It wasn't there before. But now we find a love towards our dear Savior. He loved me and gave himself for me. I'm born again of the Spirit. I've got a new heart. And you know what? Anyone else who's been born of the Spirit and has that same nature, I'm attracted to. This is spiritual chemistry, my friends. Haven't you found that to be the case? It doesn't matter how old or young they are. It doesn't matter what background they are from culturally it doesn't matter what interests they may have it doesn't matter what language they may speak it doesn't matter what kind of personality they may have there is this bond this tie we're not thinking of these things blessed be the tie how ironic 
it's often a source of tension. But blessed be the spiritual tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. So what are we thinking of? John, in his letter, towards the end of the first generation of the church, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know does not love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. No, love is not God. Sorry, John Lennon, you're wrong there. But John the Apostle, you're right. God is love. So what are we thinking? Brotherly love. We're not thinking of temperament. Some people are more outgoing than others. And there's nothing wrong with whether we're outgoing or whether we are inward looking. But that's not filial love. There is nothing wrong in having a friendship group in a church. In a church this size, it's only natural. Jesus had friends. But a friendship isn't filial love. There is nothing wrong in sharing similar interests. Uh, I know a few years ago, Peter Milsom had a golfing holiday for Christians. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not the bind, the glue. This is different. You rise above all those things. Uh, it's like uh, my phone here. When, when I'm sometimes phoning a person and I'm in the valley, the signal isn't good. So I say to them, hang on, I'm jogging. And I just need to jog a bit higher. And once I get higher up, the signal is clearer. My friends... There's a signal in your hearts. There's a signal in my hearts. And you know where the mast is? The mast is Jesus Christ. The closer we are to Christ, the more we love Jesus, the more aware we are of the love of Jesus to us, the more we will love the image of Jesus in one another. That's filial love. And sometimes we're down in the depths, are we not? We're in the valley of this world. And there isn't a good signal because these other things get in the way, even things that are uh, harmless in and of themselves. But if they become an issue, then they are sinful. They are distractions. So things like nationality, uh, how the Welsh language has caused uh, divisions in the church in Wales over the decades, things like certain interests or tastes we've all got different tastes but that's got nothing to do with it we've got to rise above that some of us are more formal others are more casual but love doesn't care about that we rise above that uh, different ages thank god for a church where the ages are all together we rise above different ages rise higher brother sister the signal will be better the closer you get to Jesus, the more in tune you are with the love of Jesus, the more you will love one another. So what I'm trying to say as we begin is this love's taught of God, not just from the word, but because we've been given his nature. And if we want to 
show more of this filial love. We need to get higher in our walk with God. We need to get closer to him. We need to have our hearts burning again towards him. When a church loses its love, it's lost its love to Jesus first. Were you challenged? I was by the words of the hymn, Lord, from whom all blessings flow, perfecting the church below. Steadfast may we cleave to thee. Love the mystic union be. Join our faithful spirits. Join each to each and all to thine. Lead us through the paths of peace on to perfect holiness. The badge of a Christian is, well, you can wear a cross if you want. You can put a fish sign on your car if you want. I'm not going to do that now because that would be a bad witness after being caught speeding. I met somebody this morning and I thought this was very novel. She had words, faith and love written on her. That, 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 that was quite different. You can wear a T-shirt with a verse on it. But if you really want to wear the badge that identifies you as a Christian, it's this love. It's filial love. More about Jesus would I know, more of his love to others show. Very quickly, Paul talks about growing in this love. Where are we? Concerning brotherly love, you have no need. You see, Paul has been mightily encouraged by Timothy's reports. He sent Timothy to Thessalonica. He was worried about this infant church, and Timothy said to Paul, Paul, worry no more. It's all right. They love one another. So Paul says, you do love one another, but that doesn't mean to say you can't grow. And I think something like that of you, brothers and sisters, we do love one another, don't we? We've been through a difficult time recently, but we do love one another. But let us grow in love. This love is an organic thing. Uh, when, when I see people, I was having lunch somewhere today and I saw a person I hadn't seen for many, many years and she'd grown, she'd grown. And may we grow in love to Jesus and to one another. Let me just give you a few pointers in this regard. We grow in different ways, don't we? We grow in love in its breadth. Have I got that right? Is that breadth? Yeah, that's breadth. What are we referring to there? Do we grow in the breadth of our love to believers? Paul mentions here of the Thessalonians that they loved not just themselves, not just their own people in the church of Thessalonica, but they loved all in Macedonia. Macedonia was a big area. It contains the whole of North East Greece. My brothers and sisters, we love one another here, I take it. I've heard lovely accounts here of when somebody is ill, that they are looked after. Uh, that is great. But does the breadth of our love extend beyond Heath Church? Do we love brothers and sisters in other churches in Cardiff? Do we love our brothers and sisters in Highfields? Do we love our brothers and sisters in Tabernacle? Do do we love our brothers and sisters in churches that are very different from our church? 
Uh, I envy Richard being able to visit Magad again. I once was able to visit some of our missionaries and travel broadens the mind. And I think as well, travel extends the heart. If we have fellowship with Christians in other parts of the world where there are differences and yet we love them, the breadth of our love, I think we can grow more and more in terms of the breadth of our love. Do we see in a brother or a sister, even if the outward things are different to what we're used to, do we see sometimes more of Christ in them? When I was in university in Aberystwyth, there was a man who went to the Pentecostal church and I didn't agree with him on everything, but he was one of the godliest people I knew. Although I do think now that we could do a little with the Pentecostal fire. (laughs) Do we see beyond the outward the image of Christ? And then the depth of our love, the depth of our love. How deep is your love? What is this? Oh, Paul knew something about this. He knew about this even before he arrived in Thessalonica. Where had he been before Thessalonica? He didn't come from a five-star hotel. He came from a prison in Philippi. Oh, Paul had been in the depths, but he knew in the sufferings, the drawing near of the Lord. He knew that the love of Jesus Christ was especially precious when you have been broken. And so he came with a sore back to Thessalonica. He came with scars, but he was able to love these people with a reality and a depth as a result. He was able to write to the Corinthians the second letter that we've got. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comfort us in all our afflictions, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God. We share our mutual woes. Do you know that hymn? We sing it every time a member uh, joins. Our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. May this church be a safe place where we feel we can unburden. I don't want anybody here to think that they can't be honest with their brothers and sisters. There is nothing wrong, Christian, to say to a brother or a sister who asks you how things are going. They're not going very well, actually. There is nothing wrong with that. If there's a depth to our love, we will weep with those who weep as well as rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, I don't know if you were like this, Mark. You probably weren't. But when I came out of LTS, I thought I had all the answers and I was inflicted upon Kairgurle. <laughs> you know, the Lord allows us to go through sufferings so that instead of being know-alls we we just we just want to get alongside people you don't have to say anything do you just be there be there and then finally the length the length what's the length of your love god doesn't save us as isolated christians it would be easy then wouldn't it to love one another As somebody once said, churches would be fine if it wasn't for the people in them. (laughs) 
wouldn't it be great just to have a reformed uh, church, uh, evangelical church, with an emphasis on revival and no people? But that wouldn't be a church. That wouldn't be a church. And do you know, the length of your love extends as you interact with brothers and sisters you may not necessarily choose to have as brothers and sisters. I've said this before. Loving another Christian is not the same as liking them. We mix things up, don't we? We tend to think of love just as an emotion. It's not. In the end, it's a matter of the will. And I find as we rise above our particular uh, tastes and prejudices even, we do get to like some more. And I do think God our Father, and I'm not looking at anybody, he does put amongst his people those who are good for our sanctification. <laughs> Is our love forbearing? Are we long-suffering with one another. I, be I better finish there. But this is the first thing that Paul says about this Philadelphia love. It's taught love. Just go to God and just ask him to enlarge your heart. Uh, more about Jesus would I know. More of his love to others show. May, may God enable us uh, in these things and may people in Cardiff see see how at the heath they love one another for his namesake.